This boat sure does ride smoothly. Seems to uh, take the choppy water so well. Well, thanks, Bill. A boat's ride is a function of the shape of the hull, plus, of course, the size and the weight of the boat and the speed of the boat. And this one does seem about right for this lake, I've noticed. You, uh, you ever do any fishing out here, Lamar? Well, Bill, I, I really don't get much of a chance since I'm always out here with my wife and daughter, and they really aren't much into fishing. But I do keep a couple of rods tucked back for just such occasions. And as a matter of fact, right up this slough here coming up on the left, uh, there's an overhang where I've had some luck. Do you think you have enough time left to try a few? Sure, as long as I'm back by 6 o'clock. Well, let's give it a try. Maybe we can catch our dinner and fry up some fresh fish. That sounds like a winner. Let's get after it. Bill, can you fish and talk at the same time? Well, Lamar, I thought that's what fishing was all about. Besides, we're not exactly hauling them in right and left here. Well, we're just getting started, but uh, I guess maybe we'd better keep our day jobs based on what <laughs> we've done so far. Are you thinking of the question you asked uh, on the way out here about why there's so much suffering and evil in the world? Yes, exactly. Uh, the problem as I see it, is that if, if God is a loving God, then he wouldn't want us to suffer. If he is all-powerful, then he ought to be able to prevent it from happening. The fact that so many innocent people uh, suffer so much sometimes makes me doubt God's existence, or, or at least it makes me wonder if there's this uh, all-powerful God who cares so very much about us. Actually, there's enough pain and sorrow in this world to go around. That's That's been my experience. Mar, this... Uh Sounds to me like more than just an intellectual question. Uh, am I reading something personal between the lines? Yeah, Jan and I have had some some tough times. Uh, our problems might not seem so very big compared to problems faced by other people, but uh, we've had this ache in our guts for years, and it just won't quite seem to go away. Uh, had some tough times, you say? Right. Uh, and, and I guess I need to tell the story a little bit for you to understand uh, after uh, Jan and I had been married for about five years, we decided that we were about ready for children, and we took the appropriate steps, but nothing happened. So we wound up going through a series of medical tests, and we found out that both she and I had uh, fertility challenges, significant challenges that mm. needed to be addressed. And that result is we both had surgery and other treatments, uh, but the doctors, after all that was done, still weren't encouraging, not at all. And then imagine our surprise a couple of years later living in North Carolina when we learned that uh, we had a baby on the way. Uh, cloud nine is where we stayed for the next uh, several uh, months as the pregnancy progressed. And the uh, sonograms told us that we had a little girl on the way, which was uh, ideal. And uh, then with no warning and with no good reason given, uh, she died at seven and a half months of gestation. And uh, the question in my mind, is that the act of a loving God to mm. either cause or to allow that to happen? And as badly as that hurt uh, us, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to uh, get a child here and live with them for several years and then see them die of leukemia. And that happens in this world. Yep, sure does. And, uh, and of course, you've got 
people being victimized as, for instance, the millions that were tortured and, and brutalized in Germany. Where was this all-loving, all-powerful God then that allowed that to happen? Well, actually, uh, in a sense, that very question almost assumes that there must be a God. Why do you say that? Well, C.S. Lewis, we've talked about him before, the fact that he was an atheist, said that it's this question that formed the basis of his atheism until he realized that he was arguing in a circle. Is the injustice in the world merely a violation of personal or individual preference, or is injustice a violation of a grand and universal moral law? Well, Lewis felt with all of his being that it was the latter. In other words, that it wasn't just his personal preference, but that there was a a sense of what's fair and just out there that's bigger than all of us that was being violated by the suffering and injustice that he saw. Of course, that's a no-brainer. In my example, what Hitler did was certainly more than a violation of someone's private idea of justice and fairness. He was practically evil personified. But uh, I really don't see how that leads to, quote, circular reasoning, end quote. Well, Lewis said that the recognition of an absolute law demands the existence of a lawgiver. He found that he had to assume that there was a God who gave absolute moral laws in order to complain to that God about inconsistencies and injustice. If there's no God, then there's no basis for complaint other than personal opinion and personal inconvenience. The very idea of holding to an absolute standard presupposes a creator who gave us the standards. You know, this this is sounding kind of familiar to me. Haven't we touched on this issue before? Yes, I think we did, as a matter of fact, when we were discussing proofs for the existence of God. Because without God, there's not only no basis for moral law, there's nothing to complain about in the universe, and there's nobody to complain to. Okay, well then, what's your answer? If there is a God, why does he allow this evil that prompts suffering? Well, before I give you my understanding of the Bible's answer to the question, I'd like to talk for a minute about how other worldviews handle this question of suffering and evil. And I'd like to talk about two areas. Uh, First, it's how the worldview satisfies us intellectually. And then secondly, the subjective and personal impact on people who are going through suffering. Well, the fish aren't biting, so let's talk about that. (laughs) What what other worldviews are you talking about? Well, two major worldviews that have a lot to say about this are atheism and pantheism. Atheism takes the position that pain exists, but God doesn't exist. In other words, God is an illusion. Pantheism, on the other hand, says just the opposite. Pantheism says, yes, God exists, but no, pain does not. Pain is an illusion. Now, a third major worldview, theism, which is the Bible's explanation, says that both God and pain exist, and neither is an illusion. Well, that's an interesting summary, but I'm not sure I have all of that completely captured. Could you unwind it a little bit more for me? Well, I'll take a shot at it. Uh, We've already discussed the intellectual problems of atheism, but the subjective side of how atheism deals with suffering is another huge problem that, that we didn't get into in our previous discussion. How so? Well, if I'm an atheist experiencing great pain, I may feel it's unjust and that certain wrongs should be righted. But my worldview tells me there's nothing wrong. I'm just an accident in a random universe. I have no right to to ask for anything different. I mean, the bottom line is life stinks and then I die. So quit whining. You know, there's no hope. There's no purpose to life. There never was. 
never will be. In fact, why not end it all now? Well, do I gather correctly that uh, you are not too sure that atheism has much to offer in the way of help then? <laughs> uh, Lamar, you're a man of uncommon insight. <laughs> well, then what about this pantheism? Uh, I don't know much about it. Uh, isn't that essentially Hinduism or the, uh, the Eastern philosophy? Yes, and it's also the philosophical basis, pantheism is, of the New Age movement and Christian science, which of course has been around in this country for a long time. Well, we had a family uh, in our neighborhood when I grew up that uh, were Christian scientists, and they would never go to the doctor. That's all I ever knew about them. Well, that's right. And the refusal to get medical attention fits in with that worldview. Pan means all, and theism means God. Everything is God. Pantheists believe that the world is God. And pantheists don't believe that there's any separate entity that created the world independent from the world. They believe that the universe is eternal and identical with God. The universe and God are the same. Well, if you believe that everything is God, and if you acknowledge that evil exists, then God must be evil. Whoa, hold on there. Well, that's obviously a problem. So if evil and pain are just an illusion, then God is an evil. That's the way out of the trap. Now, I think the intellectual problems with this are staggering because, first of all, pantheism assumes an eternal universe. And as we've talked before, the data brought to us by science contradicts that idea harshly. But in addition, pantheism's view of pain as an illusion requires the denial of of all of our senses. All that evidence that I feel the pain, I experience it with my senses, you got to throw it out to buy this idea that evil is an illusion. And then you have to ask, how does the pantheist know that it's not an illusion, that the pain is an illusion? How's that now? (laughs) Well, maybe a little limerick I know says it a little bit better. Here goes. There was a faith healer at Deal who said that though pain is not real, when I sit on a pin and it punctures my skin, I dislike what I fancy I feel. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess that gets the point across, so to speak. Well, as I see it, Pantheism not only fails to provide intellectual satisfaction on this question of pain and suffering, but it doesn't help us much emotionally or subjectively either. How would you feel if your child was dying of a painful disease and I came up to you and told you that pain is just an illusion? Well, if uh, assuming that I kept my hands to myself and didn't punch in the nose, I would at least have some unprintable thoughts. Uh, This idea of mocking pain is is not appealing at all. I think it provides very little relief. We're not only suffering, you're saying it's not real and that we're just imagining it. That would would be pretty upsetting. Well, furthermore, many pantheists believe in reincarnation and the law of karma. Karma, that means you reap what you sow? Yes, basically that's it. The idea is that I am what I am and I experience what I experience in this life based on what I did in a previous life. Well, now, wait a minute. Does that mean that the pain we have was brought on by ourselves? Well, according to the view of reincarnation, yes. Well, that's cruel. Now I'm being blamed for my own pain. That's not appealing. I think I'm ready to hear your answer from the Bible. The more I think the Bible provides an answer to the problem of pain and evil, that it's rational, it's internally cohesive, it deals honestly with our experience of reality and the pain that we feel and And it leaves us with a sense of purpose and strength and hope. 
Wow, that that sounds like a mighty big claim to me. Fire away. Laura, I, I think you put your finger right on the problem before earlier when you said that if God's loving, he wouldn't want us to suffer. If he's all-powerful, he ought to be able to stop it. Well, I'm convinced that God is both loving and omnipotent or all-powerful. First of all, if you want to know whether God loves us and whether he wants pain for us, you can get a quick answer by simply looking at the first couple chapters of the Bible and the last couple. So it starts out in the Garden of Eden? Exactly. The Bible says God made humans in his own image and that he put them in a perfect, paradise-like environment. They had perfect communion with God, with each other, the land, and even with the animal world. So that's how he started things off. And then, of course, the last couple chapters of the Bible tell us how God wants things to finish up, a place called heaven, where it says that there's no more pain or sickness or tears or sorrow or death. So you say God loves us, and that is very comforting, But if what you say is true, how did things get so messed up, Bill? According to the book of Genesis, God offered Adam and Eve the run of the garden. He told them they could enjoy it to their heart's content, except for the fact that they weren't to eat the fruit of one tree. God warned them of dire consequences if they disobeyed. Well, they rebelled against God's one command, and we're told that the world changed drastically at that point from a world without pain to the world filled with pain that we know. Well, why do you suppose God gave them such a choice to make when he knew all along how things would be ruined? Would be ruined or could be ruined? Well, what's the difference between those two? I think there's significant difference. I believe that Adam and Eve could have made the right choice. In other words, there is nothing inevitable about them disobeying what God had given them to do and rebelling against him. Okay, maybe, but why would God even give them the option of messing it up if he was such a loving God? Well, precisely because he's a God of love. Uh, That doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it yet. Well, for love to exist, you have to have a choice. And for choice to exist, there have to be consequences. If there aren't any consequences or differences, then choice doesn't exist. And if there's no choice, there's no love. For instance... If I wanted my wife to tell me that she loves me when I walk into the house this afternoon, and I have to put a tape in her, flip a switch on the side of her head, and then listen to a computer-sounding voice come out, I love you, more that wouldn't do much for me. You don't get real love from a robot. For my wife's love to be real and meaningful to me, she has to have the freedom to reject me if she so chooses. You remind me of a bumper sticker I saw not too far from here on the back of a cowboy's pickup truck, Bill. It said, if you love something, set it free. But it went on to say, if it doesn't come back, hunt it down and kill it. (laughs) (laughs) But what what you're saying is that uh, God cannot love us if we don't have a choice about loving him back. Well, he could love us, but only like we might love a pet rock. The problem is that if it didn't give us choice... We couldn't love him at all. The Bible says God created humans in his image or in his likeness. He not only gave us the ability to think and to feel, but to choose. The free will to make choices is what makes us capable of responding to God and thus capable of a personal and loving relationship with him. So God created us with a free will so that we could love him. Exactly. Now, when Adam and Eve misused the greatest gift of creation, which is this free will, the ability to choose, 
And when they rebelled against the God who made them and loved them, that's when the world was changed forever and, and paradise was lost. God didn't bring evil and suffering into the world. His creatures did. But, Bill, if, if God is omnipotent and has all of this power, as that you've referred to, and he could do anything, why, why couldn't he make us free creatures and still prevent the pain somehow? Well, actually, Lamar, the Bible says that there are some things that God can't do. Really? That, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Give me a for instance. Well, God can't lie. He can't be hateful. And you see, the whole idea of, of omnipotence, the omnipotence of God, means that God can do anything consistent with who he is. But it doesn't mean that he can do anything. The omnipotence of God simply means that he's not limited by anything or anyone outside of himself. But he has to be consistent with who he is. Well, that sounds reasonable, but I, I don't get what this has to do with my question about why God couldn't just create free creatures and still make them so that they couldn't mess up. Well, nothing says that God has to make creatures and make them with free will. But if God himself decides to do that, he can't make them free and not free at the same time. If there were no consequences to our actions, it would be the same as having no choices. And if there's no choice... There's no free will. Without free will, we're back to the fact that real love is impossible. Okay, so God couldn't prevent the possibility of pain without eliminating love in the process, but why doesn't he at least stop the bleeding? Why doesn't he wipe out suffering now? Well, in order to wipe out pain, he'd have to wipe out the source of pain, which is evil. And he'd have to wipe out evil not only where it exists now, but wherever it might crop up. If God were to do just that at midnight tonight, which one of us would be around at 1 o'clock? Hmm. Are, are you saying that God uh, could have prevented the problem by making us robots or that he could end the problem by wiping us out? Those are the only real possibilities I can think of. So that's really it then. Uh, God is loving and powerful and that uh, we're the ones that have messed things up and now we have to pay. So pretty soon, aren't we back to life stinks and then you die? No, that's atheism, not biblical Christianity. Well, what's the difference, though, if we're still stuck here with all this pain? I think there's all the difference. And now we're getting to the good part, that God has done something. He has conquered evil and suffering. The Bible doesn't just give us an explanation for evil in terms of where it came from. It goes on to give us a solution. Well, that sounds too good to be true, and certainly based on my experience, I'm all ears. Well, God didn't just look down on our suffering from his ivory tower. Some 2,000 years ago, the God who loves us actually came to planet Earth, became a human himself. In other words, he became one of us. He subjected himself to evil and suffering, and he eventually allowed himself to be mocked, tortured, abused, and killed. Well, you mean Jesus Christ? Yes. But Bill, suffering is still here. What did he accomplish? When Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, died on the cross, he fulfilled the purpose for which he said he came. He said he came to die in order to pay the penalty for all the evil in all its forms committed by all of us throughout history. Justice demands a penalty for that evil, and Jesus said he came to pay it for us so that we could, once we received that pardon, be completely forgiven and qualified for heaven. He promised 
that everyone who puts their trust in him would not only be forgiven, but one day would be brought to heaven when they die, a place where there are no tears, no sorrow, no sadness, or death, as I mentioned before. And once in heaven, we'll be free from suffering forever in the presence of God and everybody else who has received that gift. Well, surely you're not saying that just the promise of heaven removes suffering. No, we obviously still have plenty of suffering to go around in this life. But knowing what we have to look forward to does inject a huge dose of hope and courage to face the things that come our way. For instance, think back to your days as a pilot flying rescue missions over Vietnam. And imagine what it would feel like to get shot down and put in a POW camp. Well, I thought about that a lot in those days, and even now it's uh, not fun to think about. It's what uh, we feared more than dying, almost, and the prospects of uh, riding away in a solitary confinement, being tortured, starving, and that did happen to a lot of them. It doesn't get much worse than that. But imagine, Lamar, that on your first night in prison, an angel came to you, or you heard a voice that you somehow you knew was God, and you got the message that although you're going to have to be there for three more years, you would be released, you'd have no permanent injuries, and the Jan would be waiting for you with open arms. Now, let me ask you, would that make a difference in the handling of those three years in prison? Well, sure, of course. That'd make a big difference in that instance. If I get your point, what you're saying is that if we really could somehow believe or know that we were going to heaven when we die, then then you're saying we could have more courage and hope instead of despair. Exactly. But God has not only promised that we can go to heaven when we die, if we have that right relationship with him, but he's promised to help us to deal with the pain that we experience in the here and now. You mean that if we uh, pray or we have enough faith that I've heard about, then God promises to solve our problems or even remove them? No, he doesn't promise to take away all our problems until we get to heaven. That's what heaven's about. What he has promised is to give us peace and joy in the midst of and sometimes in spite of our pain. And furthermore, he actually promises that he'll help make good come out of the pain. Uh, You mean to say that a true believer is always happy? No, I don't think so, because happiness is a surface feeling that we get when everything's going our way. Peace and joy are, are much deeper than that a sense that I'm okay because of God's love for me, even though my circumstances at this particular time may be lousy. What we're being offered is peace and joy as our faith develops and grows, but but we're never guaranteed a painless life, not until we get to heaven. Well, I have to admit this sounds pretty good. Even though we do have to put up with the pain and suffering now, everyone gets to go to heaven eventually. Well, not exactly. What we're told is that everyone is offered heaven, but the Bible says not everybody's going to make it there. Well, if they don't go to heaven, you must be talking about hell then. Well, I'm afraid that's a reality we just can't wish away. But, Bill, how could a loving God send any one of his precious creatures that he loves so much to such a terrible place? Well, remember, Lamar, love is a choice. God loves us so much that he came to die for us so that we could all be forgiven and go to heaven. He wants everyone to be with him. Well, then why won't everyone be with him in heaven? Because not everyone is willing to admit their sinfulness and receive the pardon of what it is that Christ did when he died on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty, and he's put the ball in our court. It's it's up to us now. But he will not force us. Remember, 
true love offers the freedom to choose. And in one sense, hell is simply a place for people to be who don't want to be with God. C.S. Lewis said that the door to hell is locked from the inside and that there are basically two kinds of people. People who say to God, your will be done, O God. And people to whom God says, sadly, your will be done, O man. Have it your way then. What do you think he meant when he said that the gates of hell were locked from the inside? Well, if Jesus Christ really did pay the penalty for the sins of us all, and if the pardon is really available, then nobody needs to go to hell. The only people in hell will be those who rejected the pardon. Or to use another metaphor, they're, they're drowning. A life raft is dropped in the water next to them, and they reject it. Well, I certainly don't like the idea of hell, no matter how you put it. But I can't say that it's unfair. I don't like the idea of hell either. It seems so unnecessary and such a tragedy that anyone would end up there. But remember, the good news is the penalty has been paid and that heaven is ours for for the asking, and that hope is available to us. Ooh, Bill, uh, to get you in by six, we'd better reel in and get going here. Wow, it's five o'clock already. Yes, indeed. But I I have to tell you, uh, this is the first time that I've heard a plausible and coherent explanation for evil and suffering, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking my question seriously. Ever since that experience in North Carolina, this problem has gnawed at me, and, uh, and now you've given me more to, to chew on. Perhaps, though, the best part of the afternoon is we don't have any fish to clean. <laughs> hey, I hope you can get this tub started up again. Well, uh, I don't know. I've, I've got a paddle for you if, uh, if it doesn't work. But, <laughs> hey, uh, get cranking here, will you? Well, it, it's, it's just been serviced, so it'll crank right up, I assure you. How would you like to drive in? Hey, that'd be fun. All right. Just hop over there and uh, turn the key and uh, head back up the slough. Mm-hmm.